Uh, guys, we're, we're going to be um, jumping into 1 Corinthians 12. We're in the midst of thinking about spiritual gifts. In fact, there's a, a big piece of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, all dedicated to help us un- understand what this whole thing is about spiritual gifts. So that's what we're in the middle of. Um, as we jump into the second half of 1 Corinthians 12, I did want to point us to a couple of other passages in the New Testament that also help us understand the dynamics that we're going to be uh, diving deeper into in 1 Corinthians 12. So take a look at a couple of these other passages. One is just from last week, from 1 Corinthians 12. And there we learned that there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. If, if we could have, yeah, there we go. Different gifts, but the same Spirit. And a manifestation of the Spirit, think of manifestation as like a clear display of, of the Spirit, is given to each person but for the common good. Check out that last phrase and and lock into that a little bit. So again, last week already, earlier in this passage, when we come to Christ, we're we're, we're given a gift by the Holy Spirit. It's actually going to allow people to see something beautiful about God, something beautiful about the Holy Spirit as we actually do something with this gift, but not for ourselves. It's for the common good. It's for other people. And you think, wait a minute, gifts, aren't those for me? Like you get a special Christmas gift or birthday gift. Oh, how'd you know? It's just what I wanted, whatever, you know. Um, these gifts are not like that. Actually, you're, you're being given this gift, but it's actually a capacity to give it away, to help other people. Now you think, well, that doesn't sound like a great gift. You know, I, I still remember you guys, by the way, quick caveat. I still remember the Christmas when I was growing up that my mom, the only thing, things that my mom got were things like, to help her serve everybody else, you know, mixing bowls, a vacuum cleaner, whatever, you know. And I remember her being like, well, thanks for that, that I could just serve you guys. Anyway, these, these gifts are a little bit uh, like that, but different in this way. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to find this unbelievable joy in your soul when you receive this gift and actually turn around and give it away. Okay, let's look at one more passage here. This is from the book of Ephesians. Here he says, but speaking the truth in love, Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus here, okay? Not about us getting a cool gift. No, it's about Jesus. From him, the whole body fitted, knitted together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So I love the interplay there between he's he's designed this one composite body. There's a whole body, one body. But all of us play an integral part in that. All of us are, are, are kind of tied in together organically into this one body. And, and it's up to us to use our individual part, but actually to support and hold together the whole body. Those two things are, are really important, and we're going to be seeing that in a little bit. Okay, one more from the book of First Peter. Whole different author, Peter now writing, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So if we had more time just to meditate on this one verse, there's a lot that's, that's packed into this one verse. But once again, he, he talks about gifts, but here he uses, interestingly, the singular gift. We're given a gift. So Here's what's crazy. In the New Testament, there are about, I think, six passages that all list these various different gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the crazy thing is, no two lists are exactly the same. 
So what you, you get the idea when you compare and contrast these that he's not giving this like, like static list, like this is the full list of gifts. It's almost like there's this whole storeroom full of gifts, and he's just giving us examples here and there. And really the way Peter's describing this is it's not like there's just, you know, oh, for you, I give the gift of leadership. For you, the gift of helps. No, it's almost like the Holy Spirit goes into this storeroom of all these gifts and actually makes a concoction of all those together and gives you a unique ability to serve the body of Christ that like nobody else has. It, John MacArthur in, in uh, commenting on this verse says, it's like Christians are all spiritual snowflakes. Like there's no two alike. You know what I mean? Like all of us have this capacity somehow to serve and to give in a very cool way. But look at that. We're stewards of the grace of God. It's all from him. It's like it comes to us, but we're just holding on to it in order to then be a good steward and, and give it away, to be able to hand it off and, and help somebody else. Really beautiful passages. So keep all that stuff in mind as, as we begin to talk now about 1 Corinthians 12 and what he's going to teach us about gifts. But I just want to lay out the way that Paul's going to walk us through this because there's stuff in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 that are difficult to understand, for sure. There's some stuff that, that we're going to still be scratching our heads when we're all done with this. But there's some things that we can know with, with great confidence. And I want to point out to the two of these that I think we're going to see boldly in 1 Corinthians 12. Here it is. Spiritual gifts have at least these two main purposes, okay? The first one, spiritual gifts, are God's way of giving us a sense of belonging to the church family. There's almost no other tool in God's tool belt that he's going to use more effectively than spiritual gifts to give us this really solid sense that we belong. And we don't just belong to some uh, you know, universal church. We belong to a local church and we are intricately like, related to the people in the church family that we've been kind of birthed into. Okay. Secondly then, Spiritual gifts give us the privilege of helping others. There's a capacity to help others that is just going to be energizing for us as well as for them. And it's a supernatural way that God gives us this ability to help others. And man, it's brilliant and it's going to make us just really happy to, to be able to steward this incredible gift that he's given us. Okay, so let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12 with those things in mind. The first thing we're going to do is look at that first point about giving us that sense of belonging to the church family. That's, that's where he starts. Look at verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. He says, just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, actually are just one body, Okay, so that is also with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we are all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. Okay, so that constant interplay, if you're looking at your Bible of the one and the many and the one and the many, back and forth, you know, if you circle one and many, it's just this toggling back and forth between those gives us a, a pretty cool insight that he wants to talk about individuality and our individual part, but never in isolation from the whole, from the family, the body of Christ, 
to which we've been brought into. Now, it's really important, guys, that we, that we again, think very locally about this. Again, not just that we're Christians or we're part of this bigger thing called the church, but this church, Veritas Church. And I want you to know our experience as members of Veritas Church is not all that different than what it would have been like to be a member of the Corinthian church. It was a very diverse church. And because of that, sometimes it was hard to pull them all together. In fact, if you remember, if you've been with us through 1 Corinthians, the first four chapters of this book are all trying to bring them to unity. It's a very divided church, and this is one more opportunity Paul's going to use to pull together this very divided church because Corinth, being a very large city and a a port city, um, unbelievable array of diversity in this city, even in the first century. Now, if you're a Corinthian, like local, born and raised, and families have always been Greeks living in Corinth, you would probably be neighbors with people that were, well, he mentions here, Jews. There would be Palestinian Jews living down the road from you. Why? Because it's this port city and people from all over the world set up shop. Some of them have been there generations because they're there to, you know, be in the marketplace and and to sell their goods and that kind of thing. So you'd probably have a neighborhood that's full of like Palestinian Jews and you could see the difference between them. And maybe across the street, you'd have an Ethiopian. Why? Because the kingdom of Ethiopia would also be up there in order to have commerce and trade and have this whole, you know, part of this global economy that was going on in Corinth, and they'd look very different than the Spaniards. People from way Western Europe would found their way to Corinth, and they would look different than the cushions. Okay, the cushions, uh, spelled with a K, not cushions, a seat cushion. Cushions were, in our day, Pakistanis, okay? Pakistanis had come all the way over from what we know of in our maps as Pakistan, all the way to places like Corinth to do business. Here's what I'm saying. Think about taking all of those different backgrounds, all of those different colors and customs and languages, and put them all together in not, a, not only just one city, one church. How do we all get along, right? And then there's the personalities, guys. Um, there were always introverts and there were always extroverts, right? And the introverts were always irritated by the extroverts because they'd never be quiet. And the extroverts were always irritated with the introverts because, give me something. Would you just say something? You know what I mean? Kind of thing. And that was always true. I don't know if you guys do personality tests, but remember the Myers-Briggs test? So I'm an ENTJ. ENTJs maybe drive more people crazy than any other combo of those four letters. And I get that, right? But our modern way of categorizing those things is just that. It's just a vehicle to talk about them. That was always true of people. You had, you had all sorts of, you know what I did too, by the way? This is kind of crazy. So I'm, any of, you, any of you guys read Harry Potter? Harry Potter? Let me see how many people have actually, oh wow, okay, or, or watched Harry Potter. Okay, well, I'm really late to the game on this. In the first service, I said, late to the train. <laughs> late to the train. Harry Potter. Anyway, it went over about as big in the first service too. It was accidentally then. Anyway, should have left it off. Um, what I found out, though, I, w- I was looking at personality things, and then I saw this Harry Potter. What's that got to do? I found out that if you were to put the sorting hat on an ENTJ, you know what I would be? A Slytherin. Are you kidding me? Anyway, so for most of you, I just dropped off most of my audience, and that's okay. I can live with that. Okay. There were also, though, like in, in Corinth, all sorts of different people. That's what I'm trying to say. 
representing different kinds of personalities and backgrounds. And they were also super competitive. Okay, the way that like if, you know, I just talked to a dad and son, one had a Hawkeye mask and one had a Cyclone mask. I'm like, whoa, how's that going for you guys? Like, like that was always true. Back in Corinth, they, they hosted the Isthmian games, the Isthmus of, of Greece. Corinth hosted their games and they toggled back and forth between the Olympic games and the Isthmian games. And here's what I'm saying. They were so competitive. That's nothing new to like the Iowa City kind of experience. That was true back then. In fact, they were so competitive. There was one year that these Isthmian games were about to happen, but Corinth was at war with Athens and they decided together to call a truce, a short-term peace on the war so they could get in and have the wrestling meets and the track meets and everything else because they really wanted to win. And okay, we'll go back to war. I mean, one of us is going to actually kill each other. But come on, it's the games, you know, nothing, you know. They had their own Kinnick or whatever right there. So I'm just saying, and they did. It wasn't called Kinnick. But I'm saying, guys, all the same dynamics that kind of pull people apart, give us lines in the sand to, to show our differences. That was always true of the church. That was true in the church in Corinth. So my question is, guys, what could bring these people all together? Even in this passage, you've got people that were born slaves and born wealthy. You've got people who were born Jewish and Gentile. You've got people raised in loving homes and those that were raised as orphans. How could this church possibly all find themselves together in unity? The answer is, one, Jesus Christ, salvation in Jesus Christ is what brought that church together and brings us together. Earlier in chapter 12, he says, we say Jesus is Lord. That's the banner that we fly. And so all of a sudden, some of those other differences kind of paled into the background because we're together saying Jesus is Lord. The, the music starts and we confess together our allegiance to Jesus. But also then, it's this idea of the Holy Spirit giving us these gifts, The Holy Spirit comes into our lives, adopts us into this family, this beautiful idea of adoption, right? That we've all received the spirit of adoption. That's what it says in Romans 8. By whom all of us cry out together, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. So we're adopted together into the family of God, and then he gives us these gifts. Now, it's important that we recognize that he gives us all very different gifts, and we have to recognize that and, and glory in that. So that he gives this really cool kind of quirky illustration. Look at verse 15. He says this. Now, we're one part. You know, we're, the body is not one part, but many. So verse 15. Look, if the foot should say, uh, you know what, I'm not a hand. I, I, I must not belong to the body. Well, look, it's not for that reason any less part of the body. It should think more of itself, right? <laughs> Look, if the ear should say, oh, look, I'm not an eye, I I don't belong to the body. No, it's not for that reason, any less part of the body. Look, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? (laughs) This is the kind of funny part. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one, his design, his purposefulness, right, has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted Look, if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. God does not want some weird, monochromatic, everybody exactly the same kind of thing in his, in his family. No, he wants the diversity of difference. He designed it that way. So as I was studying through this passage, um, so my study at my house, I'm in the basement of our house, and there's a window above where I study looking out, 
and there's just always people walking, and, and there's a park across the street. So I'm always seeing activity. It's kind of a healthy distraction when I'm studying. This. And I got, I'm studying this passage as people are walking by. I thought, wow, what if this actually came to be? What if I looked out at one point and saw like a six-foot ear walking down the sidewalk? You know what I mean? You got to go there because he's, he's actually painting that picture. So if, if there was an ear walking down the sidewalk, theoretically, I could like sneak down to the sidewalk and be like, you know, like right in front of him as he's walking. And he wouldn't be able to see why. Now, he'd probably hear me coming, you know, but he wouldn't be able to see, right? Because that's the whole point. What if it was a six-foot eyeball, you know, walking down the sidewalk, and, and all of a sudden, I'm trying to carry something really heavy, and I'm like, hey, man, can you give me a hand? You know, what would happen? What would Mr. Eyeball? Nothing, because he couldn't hear me when I'm yelling, right? And he's like, give you a hand. I don't even have a hand. In fact, how am I walking? I don't have feet, right? So, the whole thing is like this absurd picture that Paul is painting, but to give us this idea. Guys, hands do stuff that ears can't. And extroverts do stuff that introverts can't. And helpers do things that leaders can't. And all of us have to look at where I'm at in this family and not fall into the trap that some of these guys have apparently fallen into to say, hey, what do I have to give? I'm not one of those. I don't have that. No, no, no. He's saying, look, you are important, a vital part of the body of Christ. Now, I, I do want to say this. Um, as we're going through this, just know these are supernatural gifts he's giving, given. And that's different than just, look, even an unbeliever doesn't know Jesus, does not have the Holy Spirit, can like make a meal for somebody else or play an instrument well or have gifts of accounting or whatever that, that they can contribute. That's not what this is about. It's just these natural abilities. Guys, we're talking about supernatural empowerments that once you've come to Jesus, you find that you're able to bring energy. That's actually the word that he uses earlier in the chapter. We energize other people. And as we energize other people in their faith toward Christ, it has this kind of bounce back effect of, of energizing me. And we're all connected in this way, right? We are part of the family. We are to delight in that. We are to depend on one another. Okay, so now he's going to talk about this in the inverse. So, so far, this is our way of sensing, okay, I really do belong to the family. Now he's going to talk about what a privilege it is that these spiritual gifts give us to help each other, to serve and help each other. So, look what he does now in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Okay, see how he's doing it in the inverse? Before it was one of the parts of the body thinking they aren't part. Now it's some of the parts thinking they don't need the lesser parts. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. You guys, that's such an important word. Indispensable. Must have. Man, I underlined that. I starred that word. We think they're weaker. No, no, no. They're indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. What does that all mean? Oh, man, we talked about that in our connection group. Good question. Let's keep going. Because <laughs> I think he clears it up, actually, as we keep going. Look at the second part of verse 24. Instead, God has put the body together, 
giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no divisions in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So there's a problem with this whole spiritual gifts, body dynamic thing, because some feel like, oh man, who am I? I, don't, I, I must not, not have much to contribute. They need to be emboldened and strengthened. And there are others who think they've, they've kind of got, got it all, and they actually don't need other people. And, and God wants to pull them and, and, and bring a corrective to them as well. I, I want you to think about it in this way, in a very kind of tangible way. Who do you need more? Is it the great jazz artist that's in concert and you want to go hear her sing or the guy that fixed your car so that you could actually get to that concert? And not only get to that concert, but get to work and help your family and get groceries and everything else. Who's more important? Right? Now, one plays a more prominent role and we're all there to clap, but the other part of that whole function for that thing is vital. In fact, the word indispensable to that whole thing happening, right? Who's more important? Somebody that could give a, a great lecture or the HVAC guy that makes the room that you're sitting in actually warm enough in the winter, cool enough in the summer to pull all that off, right? You, you wouldn't have the first if that other one that kind of gets put into the background that we think of as maybe less important Unless we understood they're indispensable to the whole experience. We all are so connected to one another. I want to repeat those verses. Look at again at the end of verse 24. God has done this. God has put together his body, giving greater honor to the less honorable. So there'd be no divisions. So that we can suffer together and be honored together. We're the body of Christ. It reminded me actually of this passage in Mark 10 that I just read this last week. Listen to this and how much it... So everything Paul is saying is actually based on the teachings of Jesus. And and you might remember this this moment in Mark chapter 10 where the the disciples are all kind of arguing who gets to be the greatest. Remember this? Who gets to be the greatest? I want want to be on the top. And Jesus called them over and he said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. Those in high positions act as tyrants over them? Not so among you. He's like, no, no. Yeah, that's the way the world works. Here's here's the thing. In my church, we're going to turn that upside down. Not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you will be slave to all. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Interestingly, the very next passage is they came to Jericho and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples. It says, a large crowd was there. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar was sitting by the road. The very next story is about this beggar. Now here is what I think should capture your attention. Jesus is, dis- is followed around by all of his disciples here unnamed. This great crowd of people. Who gets named in this passage? The blind beggar along the road that everybody's just passing by forgetting, he calls him by name. That's Bartimaeus. That's the son of Timaeus. What an honor. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's like bestowing honor and title upon this guy. He's the blind beggar. 
Jesus is saying, look, I'll tell you who I'm concerned with. It's those that we think of as maybe insignificant. No, I'm telling you, they are really significant. I'm going to name their name, and forever the world will know of Bartimaeus. Now, some of the other Pharisees, Sadducees, all those that thought they were up on the top of the heap go unnamed. We don't even know who they were, right? But Bartimaeus, he gets named. So, as I was thinking about all this, um, guys, you know how much uh, Africa is often on my mind and you've heard me talk about a lot of the heroes that we have over there, Novice and Joe and Ketty and Marjorie and all these truly heroic men and women of God. But I don't think I've ever told you about Wetson. And I want you to see Wetson. And as you see Wetson, I want to read from a, a bit of a journal of a friend of mine that goes to Africa with me. He says this, Wetson is laying in the shade, and you can imagine this, Wetson is laying in the shade of a hut permanently crippled in a near fetal position. His legs are bent under his body. His right elbow is heavily calloused because he uses it to pull himself along the ground. Only his left hand is partially functional. I suspect he's the victim of polio. His mother must clean him every day. He seems to remember me And so he smiles and makes grunting noises and is eager to hold my hand and strokes the pale white skin on my forearm. This is not uncommon, by the way, because we have this pasty white skin and also we have this hair all over our arms. And and Africans are so smooth-skinned that they just love to pull the hair and this white pasty skin, you know. That's what's going on as as Wetson does that. We give him a baby blue New York Yankees baseball cap and Wetson smiles even bigger. His delight is obvious to all of us. And then suddenly he looks worriedly down the road and barks like a dog because he thinks a stranger is coming. His mother says he can only say two words, water and father. Well, his father is deceased. What will become of Wetson? Okay, now I want to show you another picture because this is Wetson's mother. Her name's Monica. Okay, that smile. Have you ever seen a more deeply delightful smile in your life. That is the most beautiful. I think of all the women that I've met on this planet, Monica is one of the most beautiful, beautiful, cherished women from that deep smile. Does she look like a bitter woman to you? (laughs) Does she look like an angry woman because she spent 30 plus years caring for her disabled son? Does she look like the kind of woman that's kept him from rolling into the cooking fire, keeping keeping him warm when the weather gets cold? Guys, Monica's smile is real. It comes from the depths of her soul because here's the deal. Monica came to know Jesus. So she lives really near this little church in Teta, this tiny little community, Teta, and uh, Pastor Henry and Edwin go around and share the gospel. And they got, they got to her hut. She, she came to know Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. And so the, the not only did she come to know Jesus, but then she was incorporated into this church, the church of Teta. And they began to walk with her and to help her with Wetson. And somehow in God's magical grace, serving and honoring Wetson brought joy to Monica but not only to Monica, to everybody that got involved in this thing. It was their joy. It, it, as they kept giving to this guy that they thought, you know, by all outward circumstances, it would be kind of the least. 
by treating him with such honor and serving him, the joy that exploded in him and back in them just became unmistakable, right? Why? Because what 1 Corinthians 12 is teaching us. Guys, we are the body of Christ. We think differently than we ever did before Jesus came and invaded our souls. We think differently about the people that surround us because the Holy Spirit has come and taken up residence in our souls. And let me just say, so Wetson has passed away. Weston is now more alive than any of us in this room. He is singing and dancing and fully healed, and it's a glorious thing. But I'm just saying this. Even while he was still alive, Wetson was, in Paul's words, indispensable to the body of Christ. He was bringing something to that little church that only Wetson could bring if only we would have eyes to see. So, guys, we, and by the way, the last few verses of chapter 12 are actually an introduction to chapter 14, but he interrupts himself and gives this beautiful thing of 1 Corinthians 13, which is next. So, so we're just going to pass over those last verses because I just want us to sit in this moment where, guys, we have to think about this family. When you look around this room, we have to think about this family very differently than we would think if we didn't know Jesus. We have to treat each other differently than we would if we didn't know Jesus, if we didn't have God's Spirit. And by doing so, we're going to glorify Him and find incredible joy. The way we're going to focus on that today also is by taking communion together. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up with me, and I want us to have a moment to let these texts of Scripture sink in. The worship team's going to come and help us to worship our way through communion because, guys, when we came to know Christ, we experienced the euphoria of being forgiven, of finding life, but we also got adopted into a family. And that's a really important part of everything that he's doing. Yes, you are forgiven. Yes, you've been given life. Yes, you have eternal security in Christ but you've also been put into a family of God where, where we can, through the Holy Spirit's gifts, sense that we belong. Do you feel like you belong here? Because if you're a Christian and are still kind of isolated from the body of Christ, I'm telling you, you are missing out and God wants to use this passage to draw you in. And if you're waiting also just to have something happen to you, you're also missing a great delight in coming in and thinking, how has God uniquely gifted me to serve and to bring delight to other people? And I would love for him to do that. And the way we do that is by focusing on Jesus Christ. Because just in that passage we read in Mark 10, even Jesus himself, the head of the church, right? The chief shepherd of every church, Jesus Christ said, actually, I came not to be served, but to serve, to give my life for you. He's like, follow me. Follow my example. And so we're going to do that together. But I want us to pray before we do. Let's, let's pray together. Because, Lord, um, 
these words could not be more relevant. <laughs> Written so many years ago to a very different people, a very different church, and yet it just lands in Iowa City in 2021. God, I pray that your spirit would help some who feel like, what do I have to give? Do I even belong here? The strength and the hope that they are indispensable to this family. For others who maybe don't think well enough of those with less prominent gifts, may this be a moment of humility and a, a newfound dependence on the people that surround them. And all this, Lord, because of what you have done for us, you're transforming us. It doesn't come naturally at all, but supernaturally, we want to learn this and follow you. So hear us as we pray. In Christ's name, 